Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for the beautiful weather, God. And again, I ask for those um, that are grieving this morning that you would be close to them, Father, and those that are wounded that you would heal them, Lord. Yes. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have, the freedom that we have to come together, Father. And we lift up those, Father, that are not free, that are meeting in secret and meeting under persecution, Father. And uh, Father, we ask that you would strengthen them, give them courage. Father, and uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, just speak to them today, God. And we know that you'll, even under persecution, your word continues to go forth, Father. And so uh, we ask that you would help us fix and focus our eyes upon you and you alone today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day, my God. And I pray, God, that that would be our desire, Father. We would desire to be where you are. And as we've been studying, Lord, it's all for your glory. God, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son, Jesus. That we may be born again of a new nature, Lord. That we will live, Father, the remaining years of our life on this earth as your ambassadors, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So I pray, Father, that you, Lord God, would remind us of our identity in Christ, God, that you would prepare our hearts today to, to hear from you, to, to open your word, Father, and to allow it to impact us, Lord, to bring us to a place of repentance, of renewal. Father, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but God, that we would be doers. God, that we would recognize that the hour is urgent, God. We pray, O oh, Father, for those that are grieving today. Yet again, another shooting taking place now in a place of worship, God. Father, we ask, oh God, for those that are grieving, God, that you would comfort them, Lord. We ask as people are gathering today to worship that fear, God, would not be present. But God, that your people today as they're gathering will cling to Christ and to Christ alone. And that we would pray for those who are mourning. We ask for the churches in that area, God, in Pittsburgh, God, that they would, Father, come alongside, Father, the synagogue and, and the Jewish people that are there, Lord, and encourage them and support them and serve them and love them, that they would be your hands and your feet, God. We pray, oh God, that we, Father, would awaken Lord, to the needs that are around us in our own community. Father, that we would go forth as effective laborers each and every day, God, learning to deny ourselves, to get over ourselves, and to press in 
to Christ that we may be, Father, godly witnesses and examples to others, Lord, as we go forth to proclaim the good news, that we would serve faithfully, God. And so I thank you, God, that you've purposed each one of us, God, that you know our names, God, that you have created us for such a time as this. Lord, I pray that we can collectively come together seeking you. Father, that we will be lovers of Jesus. God, that we would put aside the foolishness and the folly, God, and that we would press in, Father, to truth. Father, your word says it's only by your truth that we are set free. And so, Father, may we boldly proclaim the message of freedom to those who are still enslaved to darkness. Oh, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. May we be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Father. May we ask God daily for wisdom and discernment. May you find us faithful, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning to everyone. Go to Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm picking up and finishing where I started last, last week. Wake up, don't be fooled. You were called to obey. And before I get into this week's scriptures, I want to kind of go back and look at a few from last week. And so let's go to Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1 through 29. But as you're turning there, let us remember Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. This is the call of a believer. To turn from evil and to do what is right. To do good. To seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. Our lives are to be lived differently. We are to reflect Christ and not ourselves. We are to be living out of His desire, not our own desires. We are to recognize that we have been crucified with Christ. That it's no longer... I that is living, but it's Christ living in and through me. Like we are maturing, we are growing. You know, we we are walking in a new purpose, in a new identity. And in that understanding, we have a longing and a craving for the things that are right, for the things that are good, for the things that are lovely, for the things that benefit the kingdom of God, not benefit ourselves. And when, when, when we see self, we ought to get disgusted because we know self can only lead to destruction. There's nothing good that can come from our own temporal desires. Remember, the Bible says, where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. So if we're just living by our desires, then we're just nothing but filthy sinners, sinners that are in complete rebellion to a holy God. God and his love and his mercy and his kindness reveals himself to all mankind through his son Jesus in hopes that they would turn from their wicked ways and turn unto him. That there would be this transformation that takes place, not by our works, all because of his. And that is the message that we carry. That is the good news that we have to share. No matter our circumstances, we live above our circumstances as Christians. Amen. You know, we, we press into Christ. And we say, God, we belong to you. And we're not going to be swayed by what's going on around us or what's even going on inside of us. But God, we're going to cling to you. Last week, I opened up with Jeremiah. 
and I can't get out of these chapters. God has me parked in chapter 7 and in chapter 10. I think it's a message for the church and our generation. With everything that is going on, especially in our nation, when there's such divisiveness, when I cannot even believe in my own day and age that socialism is creeping into our nation and it's, and it's weaving itself in more and more and more and it's evil. It's just plain evil. There's no other word to describe it. Just evil. And it's deceiving thousands of people to where there's a cry in our land for socialism. And socialism never ever has it nor will it ever turn to God. It'll never be rooted in the kingdom of God. It'll never exalt the name of Jesus. It never has, it never will. You can look at the history of how it's plagued other nations and it has destroyed nations and it's destroyed the people of those nations. Oh, we must be a praying church. We must be praying and seeking God's will each and every single day of our lives. We must be praying for our nation. We must be praying for our churches that are within our nation. It is a time that the Christians of America waken up that they begin to obey whom they say they belong to. <laughs> Jeremiah's days, the people were flocking to the temples, worshiping, showing up, and God positioned Jeremiah on the outside of the temple. And this is the message that he proclaimed to these people. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 29. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. Oh, Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it. All of you who worship here, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, look at that, <laughs> I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering. And only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. This is God speaking. Through his prophet, he raised up Jeremiah. And I, can, I can't even imagine this scene as people are flooding to the temple. And here's the prophet of God on the outside of the temple declaring this to the people. You think you're safe, but you're not. Turn from your evil ways. Do not just hear what the teachers are saying. They say that you're safe because you come to the temple, because you do religious works. But here's what God says. Turn from your evil ways. And if you do, 
I will be your God. And I will keep my promises with, with towards you. And we see that all through Scripture. No matter how mankind, like I said last week, no matter what mankind wants to do to twist scriptures or, or, to, or, or to dumb it down or to do anything to remove God, you can't. God's law and God's promises and God's purpose is already in place. And nothing is going to change his mind. He is who he is as he was then, so he is now, and so he will be. He is a holy God, and he is looking for a people who is marked by him. A people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. That they would live for him, that they would abide in him, that they would honor him in all of their sayings and doings. That they would trust in him and believe in him and obey him. Don't be fooled, it says here in verse 8, into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours? And then... Come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back out to all those evil evils again. Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. Listen to what God is saying through the man of God. As it was then, so it shall be today. That Christians, that churches awaken up. That we would repent. That we would turn back to God. That we would seek Him above all. That we would trust in Him. Listen to what He's saying. You're coming here to the temple that bears my name. As my people, you're coming in. But look what you're doing the rest of your week. And then somehow you want to come in and, and say, I'm safe. I belong to you. And in reality, he says, no. No, you don't. You're, you're not safe. And then he goes on in verse 12. Go now to the place of Shiloh where I once put the tabernacle that bore my name. See what I did there because of all the wickedness of my people, the Israelites? While you were doing these wicked things, says the Lord, I spoke to you about it repeatedly, but you would not listen. I called out to you, but you refused to answer. And this is what I love about God. Is that he doesn't give up on us. <laughs> he is constantly pursuing us. He is constantly revealing himself to us. He is constantly expressing his love to us. He is without fault. You can't blame God. And I keep encouraging us. It's not God. There is no fault in God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is loving. <laughs> but he's also... <laughs> A just God who will not continue to tolerate rebellion towards him. He will not. He will not. Not then, not now, nor time to time to come. 
It is his wrath that is being stored up, the Bible says, because of sin. And it's going to be unleashed. And so why are we, his people, partaking of the very thing that he's storing his wrath up for? That is not where we belong. Not when he's so loving and kind. Not when when we do fall that he shows up and he says, you don't belong there. You belong to me. Now get up. He says repeatedly, I keep coming to you. I keep revealing myself to you. I keep telling you truth. I keep exposing myself to you. And yet you will not come. So he says here in verse 14, as I destroyed Shiloh, I will now destroy this temple that bears my name. And that grieves my heart when I read the scripture. I don't know about you, but it grieves me. This is God's temple. And he says, this is the temple that bears my name. And now I have to destroy it. Just like I destroyed the other one. And I said, God, we're your temple now. May we not find ourselves facing his wrath. When we are children of God who have embraced him and have received such great love. And you say, but no, 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 I'm safe. I prayed a little prayer. I come to church. I believe in Jesus. And these people thought they were safe too. And I know the message today is to make everyone safe. To just sing kumbaya while all rushing into heaven. Oh, but I don't see that anywhere in scripture. I don't see it anywhere in scripture. We keep playing with sin. We keep being an adulterous generation, just giving ourselves to anything and to anyone just to feel some type of completeness and wholeness. And God is saying, I'm to be enough for you. Why are you looking elsewhere? Why are you going elsewhere when I'm enough for you? I'm going to have to destroy what bears my name. And I don't find pleasure in that, God says. But I will not tolerate sin. I will not tolerate the complacency. I will not continue to tolerate disobedience. Where is that being preached today? Where are Christians finding themselves on their face before God, crying out for God, saying, oh God, have mercy on us. God is speaking to his people And as I shared last week, and as you should know, these people were living in a day and age where the other nations were watching them. The other nation says, those are the people of God, the almighty God. They would acknowledge God, but these other nations would not serve God. And now what are the other nations seeing about God's people? God's people have wandered off from God. God's people have taken to their idols. God's people are given over to their sacrifices. God's people are desiring what the other nations are desiring. And the other nations are looking at God's people going, what's going on? Remember, we were created for a purpose. We were created for him. We were created by him. And we were created to reveal his glory to the nations. To the nations, you have a purpose. 
each and every single day, no matter where you've come from, what you've done, what the enemy screams at you, what others may say about you, you need to silence all of that and you need to get alone, shut yourself up away with God and say, God, I am here. What is my purpose? My purpose is to get up this day and go reveal your glory among the nations. And you say, well, I'm not going to the nations. <laughs> get up and watch where you will lead you. <laughs> get up each and every single day and just be faithful. Get up and pray. Get up and seek Get up and ask. Get up and knock. And let him move through you, impacting your sphere of influence. And watch how God impacts the nations because you got up. Because you got up. There's just a few of us sitting here. Could you imagine if all of us committed to Christ and we got up each and every single day and we say, God, we're created for a purpose. We were created for you. We were created by you. And we were created to go and reveal your glory among the nations. Could you imagine if the church of America awakens up to her destiny and not just the church in America, but the church worldwide throughout this earth? awakens to the fact that God is God. And He is for us and not against us. As it was then, so it is today. God is saying, turn from evil. Turn from evil. And evil is growing at a rapid pace like we've never seen before. It's getting darker and darker and darker. And we, as the bride of Christ, we, as the church, are not to be entangled by it. What does the Bible say? Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. We now, of the new covenant, have Christ. He is victorious. He's already been, you know, submitted to, to, to death. And, and yet he rose from the dead. And now he's victorious. And sin and death are defeated. Our God is victorious. He is risen indeed. He is alive. He's just not a character in a book. He is God. Like when that song is sung over us and he says, he knows your name. Do you understand that? Like God knows you. Let that sink in today for all of us. That God knows me. There's no way we can escape him. No, and I, when we get up and when we lie down, if we go there, if we go here, if we go up, we go down, we go anywhere, he's there. Constantly revealing himself. He goes on here to Jeremiah and verse 7, 16 breaks my heart because he says to Jeremiah, pray no more for these people. Jeremiah, do not weep or pray for them and don't beg me to help them for I will not listen to you. That's God. He already knows these people's hearts. They're wicked. <laughs> They're not going to change. They're not going to turn to me, Jeremiah, so stop. Don't you see, he goes on, what they are doing throughout the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? No wonder I'm so angry. 
Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers burn sacrificial fires. See how the women knead a dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. And they pour out liquid offerings to their other idol gods. Am I the only one they are hurting? Ask the Lord. Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will pour out my terrible fury on this place. Its people, animals, trees, and crops will be consumed by my unquenching fire of my anger. Unquenchable fire of my anger. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourself. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, I was not... I was not, it was not burnt offerings and sacrifice I wanted from them. And verse 23 is the one I wanted you last week and this week to highlight, to really look at. This is what I told them. Obey me. (laughs) And I will be your God. And you will be my people. Do everything as I say. And all will be well. Wow. Turn from evil and do good. (laughs) But my people, verse 24, would not listen to me. They keep doing whatever they wanted, following their stubborn, the stubborn desires of their own evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. God help us. God help us. We're not called to look back or to go back. Stop putting our hands back to where we came from. We're to go forward. We're to press on. We're to get up and just claim the name of Jesus each and every single time we fail. Get up. Don't stay there. Don't make excuses. Look and recognize what it is. It is sin. It is rebellion. It is destructive. You don't belong there. If you're a child of God, you belong in Christ, living victorious, not in and of yourself, but because of him, claiming his promises, drawing closer to him and saying, God, here I am. Here I am. I want to obey. Can I be our heart's cry this week? God, I just want to obey. God, I just want to obey. I want to turn from evil. I want to do what is right, God. I want to obey. No matter what it's going to cost me. No matter what it's going to cost me, God, I just want to obey. Would it not be pleasing to God to see your people collectively crying that out? Instead of seeing people just constantly playing the game, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. God says, I'm not tolerating it. I didn't then and I'm not now. Obey, he says. He goes on in verse 25. From the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants to prophets day in and day out. But my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They have been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. Tell them all of this, but do not expect them to listen. Shout out your warnings. But do not expect them to respond. Say to them, this is the nation whose people will not obey the Lord their God and have refused to be taught. It is no longer heard on their lips. 
Shave your head in mourning and weep alone on the mountains. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken this generation that has provoked his fury. A generation that has provoked the fury of God. When people will say, oh, but that was then. We're all under grace now because of Jesus. And somehow we treat Jesus as if he's just this wimp. Somehow we treat his blood as if it's nothing. It's just common. Oh, no, no, no. It's okay. God loves us. We're safe. We're safe. God understands us. Yeah. And people who are preaching that and declaring that don't know their God. They don't know the God of the Bible. They don't know the God of the Bible. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. Even then, up until now, his purpose is to reconcile mankind back to him. And the only way it was purposed, even before the foundations of the earth, was through Jesus. <laughs> the cross. The cross. And we're even warned in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews. <laughs> the reason why everything is captured for us to go back and study through the Old Testament <laughs> is so that we can know our God. Amen. These are an example for us. Sometimes we think, oh, it's so hard under the old, uh, under the old covenant. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Being under the new covenant because Christ has been crucified. And not only has he been crucified, he has risen from the dead. And he is victorious, seating at the right hand of the Father in the place of intercession. His enemies are underneath his feet. So why are we entangled with them if we belong to him? We can't make a mockery of our God. We must know our God. We must get to know him. We must live for him. And again, we're not striving in our own selves. We don't play the weird shame and condemnation game. Oh, I'm just a failure. I'm not a good Christian. Oh, I just can't get, I can't stop myself from giving myself away. No. We recognize that in and of ourselves, we are rebellious. In and of ourselves, we are sinful. But in Christ, we are forgiven. We are redeemed. We have been adopted into his family. We have been given the right to call him Abba. We have been made whole, and that's why I've been encouraging us for quite some time now. Live out of your wholeness, not out of your brokenness. And you say, but I don't know, I don't know. It's because you're not seeking. You're not seeking. Like, you know who Christ is and, and what he came to offer us. And when the past comes a-calling, when desires come screaming, you recognize it what it is. That's the old. That's the old me. And I can give myself to that. But why would I? I think it's what I said last week. No, when you have the fullness of who Christ is, when you see him for truly who he is and the love that he has for you, when things come a-calling or come a in front of you, you go, why would I trade him for this? 
just because it's going to feel good for a second, for a moment, just because it's going to do this or it's going to do that or it's going to make me feel like this. No, I'm not trading all that he is for this. <laughs> that is temporal. That will not last. <laughs> and I will not unite myself to rebellion towards the one that I say that I love. And that I know that loves me. I know that he loves me. These people thought they were safe. They were showing up. And yet they were a generation that provoked his fury. And then it goes to chapter 10. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter 10. I did last week, but I just wanted to remind us how important it is. <laughs> That we do not turn to the worthless idols of this earth. From generations to generation, mankind has created images from wood and stone or from all these other types of materials and they slap God on them. This is our God now. Remember I told you from the beginning, mankind, all of us were, was, were, have been created to worship. And if you're not worshiping the, the true God, oh, you're going to be worshiping some false God, even if that false God is yourself. <laughs> we were created, again, by him and for him and with a purpose. And we've got to stop living against him. These people were creating false idols. And he was like, idolatry only brings destruction. And I will, I will read verse 12. Through 16. After he lays out this understanding that idolatry brings destruction, and this is what his people are doing, it says, But God made the earth by his power, and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he speaks in thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from his storehouses. The whole human race is foolish and has no knowledge. The craftsmen are disgraced by their idols they make, for they carefully shape works are a fraud. These idols have no breath or power. Idols are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. On the day of reckoning, they will all be destroyed. But the God of Israel is no idol. He is the creator of everything that exists, including Israel, his own special possession. The Lord of heaven armies is his name. Amen. Wow. Oh, I have to go back <laughs> The verse 2. This is what the Lord says. Do not act like the other nations who tried to read their, their, their future in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. Their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver and then fasten it securely with hammer and nails so it won't fall over. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak and they need to be carried because they cannot walk. And look at this. Do not be afraid of such gods. For they can neither harm you nor do any good. 
God help us. And Christians are out there running amok, uniting themselves with craziness, with the things of the occult, with giving themselves over to all this worshiping of false gods, and then afraid of evil. And we ought not to be. We ought to discern it and recognize it. But know that our God is greater. Amen. <laughs> he is God. And I love this. And He is no idol. He is no idol. He is God. He's God, you all. And we must get to know Him at the, on a level of, of intimacy that we are sure that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know that He is God. And that's a, that's a lifetime of, of, of seeking him. Because we'll never know the fullness of him until we're with him. But there should be something when he awakens us to truth, when, when the eyes are open to see, when, when our spirit begins to commune with him, when he begins to, to, to begin this incredible work within us, that he's the author, that he's the finisher. <laughs> and that we don't live beneath, but we rise up. And we say, yes, God, I want to know you, God. I don't want to just have a form of religion. I want to know you. I want to be intimately connected with you. And that's why it is vital that you are growing and maturing, that you have your own time of reflection. What are your motivations as a Christian? It all should be Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. Then last week we went on to first, I mean to John chapter one. You don't have to turn there. You can look at the notes from last week or listen to the sermon if you haven't. But we talked about that Jesus is the eternal word of God, that he is the Lamb of God, that he was the one sent by God and to the world. But those in the world will not receive him. Because they like the darkness better. God help us. And then we went to John chapter 3. And we read through 1 verse 1 through 21. And it talked about uh, to be born again of a new nature. We also read there that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. But to save the world. And then we heard right after that. Because the world is already condemned. This world, the people of it, is already Condemned. That's why it's vital. That's why it's urgent that we are getting up each day, knowing our purpose in Christ, and getting out there and sharing the good news. And in sharing, living it. We can't be like the people we just read about, nor the people that we see, who just claim Christ and yet live foolishly. That doesn't impact anything. Look at our culture. We're not impacting because we're embracing it. And God's saying, no more, no more. You should not look and love the darkness more than me, he says. You have to love me. I am your God. And there is work to be done. 
For God so loved the world, we read last week, and we hear it over and over, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. And look what the enemy is doing and has done and will continue to do. He perverts love. He strips love down to just these weird feelings. <laughs> but God is not a weird feeling. God is love. And God loves us. And God loves the world that stands condemned. He loved us even when we were in complete rebellion. But we must remember it's not his love that saves. It is Jesus. It is because of his love that Jesus came. As I've been praying and kind of meditating throughout this week on the love of God, I was so overwhelmed by just his presence and, and just his, his love. And I was like, oh God, do we really grasp it? Do we really get it? My God, we were created to love. To love. And, and we're called, that's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. And then to love your neighbor. You love yourself. And there's a lot of Christians today that aren't lovers. Lovers of God. Lovers of others. And they surely don't love themselves. Because they live at such, out of such brokenness. They still, they still are enslaved to the mentality of the brokenness. And God is saying that my people are no longer slaves. I have freed you. Come experience freedom. And are we experiencing it? Oh, we all can go around the room and make excuses of why we're not. But do you realize by doing that, by, by making our excuses of why we're not free, we are denying his love and we're darkened. We're darkened. Because we've now united ourselves to what is false. And yet we don't shudder at it. We sit among it. And we go, oh God. Oh, oh. God all along is going, what are my people doing there? Like I gave up my son. And Jesus says, I laid my life down. I'm victorious. Like it's, it's over. It's finished. Let's accomplish now. The final act, because I'm returning. Where are my people? Why are they scattered? Why, why are you back there? You don't belong there. Oh, but God, we gotta say no. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is not the time to, what we just read, go backwards. No, you gotta get up and move forward. You gotta move forward. We're all seeking to be loved. And God is love. And God is saying, I am here. But love is perverted in our lifetime. That's why it's so vital that the church is an expression of their God. <laughs> we are to be the expression of love. And love is not weak, you all. <laughs> love is not weak. 
Love does not allow others just to trample over it and make a mockery of it. No, no. Love is powerful because God is powerful. Love is right and holy because God is right and holy. Love. The very essence of love is Christ himself. No greater love than this, that a man will lay his life down for his friend. This is love. Love is not coddling people. Love is not holding people back. Love is just not saying, well, I love you enough to let you do whatever you want. I'm not going, I'm not going to interfere. No, love is bold. Think I'm kidding? What do you think I just read in Jeremiah? God says, I'm constantly getting before you. I'm constantly in your face. I'm constantly trying to intervene. I'm constantly trying to get your attention. But you will not listen. You keep turning. And you keep going back to the worthless things. And God isn't playing. Because people stand condemned. And we have the message of Jesus. And we ought to be sharing it. We ought to be living it. We ought to be the expression of who he is. And then Romans chapter 1. We read through God's anger at sin. And I want us to go to Romans. We're not going to read all the scriptures we read last week. I'm just going to touch on a few of them. And then we're going to move on to the scriptures. Only have a few for this week. But Romans 1. We see here in this chapter God's anger at sin. And God turning people over to what they desire. Men giving themselves to men. Women giving themselves to women. Sexual sin is running amok craziness is happening and it all begins with idolatry worshiping others except worshiping the true God wherever you see idolatry wherever you see the occult wherever you see people are enslaved to self perversion runs amok and no matter how mankind wants to twist it or, or, or make it full of pride and joy it is what it is. We see with our eyes when we see it taking place, God abandoning them. And God giving them over to what they desire. And I say, oh God, I once, I once was there. I know. And my heart breaks. And I said last week, we're not angry at those who are enslaved to perversion. We're not angry at those who are enslaved to any type of sin. We're not angry at those who are standing condemned. No, because we ought to see them through the eyes of Jesus. That's why he came. So that they would be saved. He didn't dumb down his message. And I know we like to say, oh, but Jesus hung out with sinners. And yes, he did, but he did not dumb himself down and keep them enslaved. No, his whole desire was to see them set free. He didn't curse them. He, he wasn't angry at them. He was an expression of love. 
Some received them, some didn't. Some wanted to stay around them, others told him, get away from us. And he left. He left. But we have to recognize what is happening in our generation. Especially with our youth. They're, they're confused. I say, God help us. We are in a dire situation, you all. We really are. And if you think, oh, Rob, that's just all hype. Then I would just ask you to go study your Bible. And then look what's happening. The enemy is working overtime. And the church, we need to start getting bold, you all. I told you, and you heard me say, as the world is growing darker, we should be growing brighter. And listen, if you're not growing, don't beat yourself up, but just be awakened. Like, oh, wait a minute. What have I been doing wasting time? Like I told you all before, you know, look at the average span of life for a man or for a woman. Subtract that from the age you are now and, and look how much time you potentially could have left. Another 30 years, another 40, another 50, another 60 or whatever. <laughs> Do you really want to stay stuck where you're at and go another 30 years there? That's not where you belong. Like God wants to do a new thing among his people. There is work that we need to do. We need to get out there. We need to share the truth. We need to be discipling people. We need to be growing and we need to be maturing. Because everyone, even including ourselves, we're being bombarded left and right. Everywhere you look, it's all ungodly. And even in our own very nation, Try to talk about righteousness and look at how you're gonna it's gonna be pushed back on you. Even among the church. The church in and of herself in our nation is so divided. Because sin has crept in. Righteousness, you all, and we're already told this in his word, is not in and of the world the winning side. In and of the kingdom of God, it's already established. We won. All because of Jesus. But in the world, the world will never embrace what is right. The world will never embrace what is right. And yet, we are called to go in the world and be the light. Knowing good and well that they hated him, they're going to hate you. And what they did to him, they're going to do to you. And where, oh where, are people this day hearing that message, and they're not just hearing it, but then being built up to be able to stand in the midst of it. In the midst of it. Like, are we really encouraging each other to stand? Are we really encouraging each other? And developing each other. Our families really getting together and, and encouraging themselves and, and praying for each other and saying, I know what you're going to face today out there, but let me pray over you before you go. I know, I know the temptations that you wrestle with. I want to pray for you. 
I'm not mad at you. I just want to pray for you. I want to encourage you so that you know when they come flaring up that God makes a way out. Like, how are we preparing our hearts, our homes? How are we cultivating righteousness, turning from evil and doing good, seeking for peace and working hard to maintain it? I've shared with you, and I want to keep bringing them back in front of us, the five traits of the persecuted church. This is how they live. This is what they are held to. They hold each other accountable to this. The first one, are you devoted to the word of God? Are you in the word? Are you applying the word? Do you have a sincere devotion? Are you committed to prayer? And everyone is expected to share the gospel. Not just the pastor, not just one person or two persons. No, everyone in that congregation is expected to share the gospel. And they have an expectation of miracles that God, you will move because you're God. And they come together and they are in unity and they have, are empowered by the Holy Spirit to pray and to seek. And then the last one, to embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. And I've shared the testimony that Francis Chan shared when he shared these five traits from a pastor over in China. He had been given the opportunity by the government to, to go and have a church uh, and to come out from underground and to have a place of worship. And he told Pastor Chan, that was the worst thing that could have happened because my people began to grow lazy. They just showed up. There was no change of heart. There was no transformation taking place. They just came and they sat. They just expected me to do all the work. But then when the government came in and cracked down on them, drug him and put him into prison, the church was scattered back underground. And so then at this time, when the pastor then begins to, to bring the church back together underground, all of a sudden the, the explosion of growth was taking place again because of these five traits. And I say, well, that shouldn't just be for the persecuted church. That should just be the church throughout the earth. That should be the mark of all of us. That's how we should be living. These people know that they share the gospel. They will be killed. But it's expected of you to share it. It's expected of you to get out there and share the gospel. They don't make excuses. Oh, but they're going to get me. No, they understand the urgency of the hour. They expect miracles. God, blind the eyes of the soldiers as I go forth and I share the gospel. As I see the need over here. God, as, as the Bibles are coming in so that your people can grow in your word. Find favor upon them that as the luggages are coming through, God, that, they, they, that the Bibles will not be detected. Like they pray with purpose. They pray with power. They have a sense of urgency. And they know if you get caught, embrace it. Listen to what it says there. Embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. And they come to beat you. They come to arrest you. When they come banging and knocking down the door to gather us up, we'll go together and we will embrace this. 
for the glory of our God. I want you to hear this. I don't know if you've read it, but I just want to put it in front of us. And I'm going to get back to the scriptures. In Sudan, the pressures on Christians in Sudan feels like it has been increasing as government scrutiny increases. The latest, the case involving a house church leader, Tajuddin, on October 13, officers of the National Intelligence and Security Services arrested him, along with 11 other believers. <clears throat> Middle Eastern Concerns' Miles Windsor says that the NISS broke up a house church meeting. The Met account notes that the officers asked all those present if they were Christians and detained them when they answered affirmatively. Three of the initial releases were Christians who are from the Christian background. The trouble started when officers discovered that other nine, the other nine were converts from Islam. Windsor says the beatings began and they were all under severe pressure to recant their faith and told that if they would recant their faith and express their return to Islam, that they would be given their freedom. Under torture, eight of the nine detainees recanted, and after being charged with disturbing the peace and paying a fine, the NISS released them on October 21st. However, says Windsor, one man refused to recant. The church leader, Tajuddin, was released on the 22nd of October pending a court hearing. The suggestion is that he will be charged with apostasy. He has been instructed to report to police every three days. The court hearing is tentatively scheduled for October 28th. And we ought to be praying for our brother. And we ought to be praying for those believers. They are living in an area where they cannot worship God. And there's an ever-increasing toll that's taking place on believers worldwide. And that's why I said earlier, where are we being strengthened to be able to stand? Like they know what it's like. They know at any moment they could be arrested and tortured and beaten. All for Jesus. For no other crime. It's just that they came and that they've expressed their love for Jesus. And they claim his name. <clears throat> we see here, that's why God doesn't play with sin. We see here in Romans 1, God's anger at sin. It says here in verse 28, Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never have been done. Verse 29, their lives became fuel of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They event new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's just requires justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Isn't that like the world? People know what righteousness is. And people know what God's laws are and what God has called and how people should be living through Christ. And yet, they know it. They know what they deserve. And yet, they will embrace the wrath. And they will reject what is right and what is true. 
And then it goes right into chapter 2 we read last week. God's judgment of sin. And then it went straight on from looking at the world. Now he's telling the church, look, you condemn them out there, but you're doing the same thing. You're doing the same thing. And you think you're safe? And it ties back in with Jeremiah. He says to the church, and verse 4, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is attended? Look at this. To turn you from your sin. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. He's talking to the church. He already talked about in chapter 1 what's happening to the people of the world, of those who are lost. Now he's turning the attention to the church. Oh, you condemn them, but you're doing the same thing. Oh, who do you think you are? (laughs) Because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, and you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Look at this. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) That's not what's being preached today. Safe, safe. Grace, grace. God's love. Everyone's okay. La, la, la. Go back to sleep. No need to get involved. Don't look over here. It's okay. Keep living however you want to live. And in the New Testament we see. You're storing up terrible punishment for yourself it says here in verse 6 he will judge everyone according to what they have done look at verse 7 he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves who refuse to obey the truth and instead live live lives of wickedness there will be terrible, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone. Look at this: who keeps doing what is evil? For first for the Jew and then also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first and then also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Are we not hearing this? <laughs> we see it all through Scripture. Turn from evil, do good. Turn from evil and do good. Turn from it, come back to me. Come back to me. In me, you're safe. In me, I've got you. In me, you know. And what does the Bible say all through the New Testament? What is our position? In Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. And that's how we ought to be living. In Christ. Turning from evil, doing what is right. And then we picked up in chapter 3. God, Christ took our punishment. This is the good news. So we saw his anger towards sin. We saw his judgment on sin. And then we recognize that Christ took our punishment. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, just verse 23 through 26. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. 
People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them and what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And the church should say, Amen. It's Jesus, you all. It's Jesus. He is victorious, and somehow we've fallen asleep and be like, Oh, okay, I believe, and I'm just a sinner. I'm just going to just keep being rebellious. No. No. We're to turn from sin. We're to seek after righteousness. And you say, but I'm wrestling. I've got a lot of junk in me. So do we all. But am I exalting all the junk in me or am I exalting Christ in me? Because the last time I checked, when we accepted Jesus, we received the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. <laughs> We're without excuse. And yes, there are temptations, but temptations, are, it's not sinning. He makes a way out of every temptation. But if we do fall, we better be quick to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to get up. To throw off that sin that so easily entangles us and says, no, 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 that's not where I belong. Like I said earlier, when it comes a knocking, when it reveals itself and it's right in front of you, you go, why would I trade all of this for that? Oh, I see the workings of the flesh. Oh, I see you, devil. Oh, I see your world trying to parade this in front of me. But it can't compare to my God. For he is righteous, he is holy. He paid the penalty. He took my punishment, and I serve him now. Speak that out of your mouth. Declare it with boldness. And watch transformation take place. How does he transform us? By changing the way we think. And if you're stuck in stinking thinking, it's time to get up from it. Oh, but you just don't know. Oh, but I do know. I've been there. I'm challenged by the very things that you are, are challenged with each and every single day. But it's what we choose to obey. I can either obey my flesh. I can either, either obey the enemy. I can obey and give in to everything the world wants to offer me. Or I can obey Jesus. I can remember the day that he called me out. And last week I ended in Romans 6. The power of sin is broken. I know, I know, I know. We like to preach. Oh, you're just a sinner. I'm not going to tell you you're just a sinner. If you are a child of God, you are no longer just a sinner. You are a child of God. Your identity is transformed in an instant. Your lacking in your maturity it's not because of God, it's because of you. And that's why there has to be a hunger. That's why you have to pursue him. Like, oh, I know what it's like to be enslaved. I know what it's like to be held down. No, I'm rising, I'm getting up. In his power, 
I'm rebuking the enemy. I'm tearing down strongholds. I don't care what people think about me. I'm living for Jesus, and that should be your attitude. Like, no, in this house, we will serve the Lord. And that should be what we should be boldly declaring. And our character should match our talk. We are to be hard workers. We are to be servers. We are to be loving and kind and patient and long-suffering. We're to be filled with joy, no matter our circumstances. And we ought to say, yes, God. We believe. We believe. And our belief is just not going to be this weird mantra and this weird kumbaya belief. No, God, we believe. (laughs) You're God. We're trusting in you. We're forsaking everything else for love. God, we believe. A few verses for this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. No, it's good news, you all. I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to the past three or four messages, I want you to go back and listen to them. I want you to study through the notes. God is doing something in my heart. God wants to do something among us. God wants to strip us bare and build us back up. And I want to be a part of that. And I want people who desperately want Jesus to be a part of that. Because I'm telling you, we're living in in urgent times. (laughs) In an urgent hour. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. (laughs) We are God's ambassadors. Verse 11. Because we understand, look at this, our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Did you see that? Did you hear that? God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. And I've shared this with you before. We're not looking to have a spectacular ministry. No, we want to have a sincere heart. All of us. That's the bottom line. Check your heart daily and throughout the day. God, what are our motivations for ministry, for serving Christ? It's not to have something spectacular that the world applauds. No, it's to have a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is to your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Oh, underline that. Highlight that. God, I hope you're getting in Scripture. (laughs) What's controlling me? Christ's love. Oh, but these desires are coming up. These things are pressing in. Oh, I just feel the weight of evil around me. Oh, but Christ's love controls me. (laughs) And watch it just shrink back. Christ's love controls me. Just say that. Walk in that freedom. 
Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, look at this, will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others, look at this, from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and new life has begun. This is how we're to be living. This is the truth that we are to be walking in, reminding ourselves of, encouraging others in. No, you can't keep going back. No, you can't keep doing what you want to do. No, you just can't keep living out of order. That is not godly. If you are a Christian, these are the standards in which we live by. But we also recognize that in and of your own self, you can. That's why there must be a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And so all we have to offer is the gospel. All we have to offer is the good news. All we have to offer is what Paul is offering this church here in Corinth. Remember, you are a new creation. Stop living like you used to live. Stop going back to what you went back to. Remember, you are now controlled by the love of Christ. There's work to be done. He goes on. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You need to be out there. You need to be sharing the good news. Listen, I don't know what you've gone through this week. I don't know what your day so far has been like. But what I do know is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is victorious. Sin and death are defeated. Hell is running amok. But the light of God cannot be distinguished. And there's work to be done. And so we have to get up over ourselves and we got to recognize, my God, we keep being beaten down because we have a purpose. If you don't think hell wants you enslaved to sin, you're crazy. Hell will love nothing more than you to stay weak and pathetic, rolling around, entangled with yourself. And it's not even hell. Hell says, I'm not even having anything, any influence. You're doing this to yourself, and we laugh at you. <laughs> we are in a spiritual war every single day, every single hour, every single moment. And you think just a little bit of Sunday or a little bit of worship here, or a little bit of praying here is going to sustain us? Not in the day and the hour in which we are living. We have to constantly giving ourselves to God. Constantly being poured out. 
constantly uniting with him. Oh God, I, you say I have the mind of Christ. Help me with these thoughts, Holy Spirit. You've got to start applying. <laughs> seek him, the Bible says, and he will be found. If you seek him with your whole heart. Now, move on to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 16 through 25. Living by the Spirit's power. Because again, this cannot be done in your own strength. No matter how religious you want to be, no matter how much rules and laws you want to follow, no matter how much prayer time you want to have, no matter how much Bible reading you want to have, no matter how much conferences and and, and church attendance that you go to, it doesn't matter if you are not empowered by the Spirit of God. And that broke my heart a few weeks ago as I was praying for people and I was going, oh God, what is happening in our nation? There's all these conferences. There's all these materials that we have to encourage and to to strengthen us. People are showing up and and spending hours in prayer and, and worship and yet they look no different. How can that be? If we're seeing God, you are all powerful. God, there's darkness cannot extinguish your light. Maybe that's why he brought me to Jeremiah chapter 7. Because we just show up and we have a form of religion. And God is saying, but they don't belong to me. They belong to themselves. And I say, oh God, help us. Help us not to be religious people. Remember, I've always told you what the Bible says. The people that we're to stay away from are people who call themselves Christians and they don't live like a Christian. Wait, do we hear that? The Bible says don't even sit down and have a meal with someone who calls himself a Christian and has an anger problem. That's what the Bible says. And yeah, we're afraid to say anything to the angry person because that's we offend them. What? Like, we need to care more about their salvation, their eternity, than just their temporalness of life. This message is not going to be embraced by the masses. Remember when Christ had his followers, he had thousands of people following him. But when he started really revealing his purpose and who he was and what the expectations were of these people, remember they said, oh, this is too hard for us to understand. This is too spiritual for us. And they went back. This is Jesus. God himself. This is too hard. And they left him. I said, God, help us to live by your power. We've got to stop making a mockery of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we we can't keep greeting him. Like we have to recognize, oh God, you're in me. I am your temple. I am am marked by your name. Oh, God, I shouldn't be found over here. I shouldn't be doing this over here. Oh, God. Holy Spirit, be quick. Like, you're my comforter. You're my guide. You're my counselor. You're my teacher. Like, are you having conversations with the Holy Spirit? Before you put your hands to things, before you speak a word. Like, oh, God, no, no, I don't want to grieve you, Lord. Teach me, Holy Spirit. Teach me. Teach me. I I long to obey. So it says here, 
Verse 16, so I say that the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So when you try to make excuses for the sin that you keep going back to, just recognize the issue is, is that you're leading your life, not the Holy Spirit. And then don't beat yourself up. Just repent and get up, especially if you're a child. If you're not a child of God, then no, you need to repent. And that's your first time believing and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then get up and be free. <laughs> but if you are a confessing Christian and a believer, and you find yourself enslaved to sin, then just recognize the truth of God's word. It is because you are leading yourself. And you are to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so you confess, you confess and you repent, and there's a sorrowful, like, oh, God, I don't belong here. Like, oh, God, I don't want to keep talking that way. Oh, God, I don't want to keep acting that way because God is not pleasing to you. Like, God, you are to lead my life. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. The sinful nature, look at this, wants to do evil, which is opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intention. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, look at this, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, even to envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, he's writing to the church. And again, we have perversion running up the church. The gospel is being perverted. Everyone is safe. Everyone is safe. No, not everyone is safe. Those who are living like this are not safe. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. No matter how a man or a woman may want to spin the gospel and strip Jesus down to nothing, it will not change the fact that it has been captured in the eternal word of God from the beginning to the end. He is looking for people that he will call his own and that they will call him their God, that they will live for him, that they will love him, and that they will turn from evil and do what is right. And so we've got to stop playing the weird game as if he's not enough. He is enough. He is so enough for us. When you follow these desires, this is what the sinful nature is going to do. So turn from it. You say, it's that easy? Yes, because Christ is victorious. You could turn from it. But the good news is, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is what the Spirit of God produces. And this is what the world is longing for. People just want to be loved. People are just searching for peace, for joy, for contentment, for happiness, for gentleness. Can't we all just be gentle? 
This is what the world is searching for. And yet the enemy, the Bible says, is blinding their hearts and their minds and their eyes. And they're trying to achieve these things in and of their own strength and in the flesh. But we see the flesh can never, ever bring about what God has designed and purposed. And that's why we are to submit ourselves to Christ. Because we are in Christ. We are in full submission to him. You say, but I'm not living that way. And then I would say, well, then why aren't you? Why are you still going your way? Oh, but you don't know my life. I got all this stuff going on. But I don't need to know your life. Do you know Jesus? We once were lost. But now we're found. I'm not making, you know, it's so easy. Ha ha ha, look at your life overnight and now you're floating on clouds. No. This is a process. Every single day, you have to be committed when you get up. I've been made by God. I've been made for God. And I have a purpose. And I have to be growing. Listen, we're not going to be perfect until we're with Him, but we ought to be maturing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I know that's what you're looking for. And listen, I know a way. Look, look at all the protests. Look at all the craziness that's going out there. Everyone, oh, love, love. Oh, we just need gentleness and peace. Everyone is searching. Well, we have the answer. We have the answer. Live in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in step with Christ. And yet the world rejects it. How dare you say that to me? What? I'm just talking about Jesus. Don't say his name. Oh, that's hate. Oh, all you got to do is offer hate. And look how the world rejects Jesus. Look how the world is going to reject you. But don't give up. Don't give in. Just keep pressing on. Because there's going to be one that's going to push back on you. But the more that you share, the more they're going to say, what? Really? He loves me. Like I can be free. Like this doesn't have to define me anymore. There's hope. I see there's work to be done. We're called to live by the Spirit of God. Go to James chapter 4. Drawing close to God. Like I said, you all, we got to start building up each other. We got we got to start getting serious for what we're doing. We got to get out there. Like I don't think it's coincidence that years last year when I was seeking and asking God, and He gave us Psalm thirty-four, verse fourteen: "Turn from evil and do good; seek for peace and work hard to maintain it." God, every year, every Sunday, you want me to, and every time we get together, that you just want me to say that one verse over and over. And I didn't understand it until maybe June, <laughs> and then coming from June on, I'm just like, "Oh God, look at what's going on around the world. Look at what's happening in our nation. Look at what's happening just among our fellowship. Look at what, look at the condition of the church." Oh, God. And I said, God, if I had to endure this time of sickness, this time of disease, this time of just not not understanding everything, God, it is worth it if it brings me here. (laughs) I'll go through whatever, God, if it just brings me closer to you. If it just brings me closer to you. God. People were gathering yesterday, and they were shot up. 
People are overdosing today. People are just running amok out there. And now we have the words of life. And we're so caught up with ourselves. Oh my God, help us. Help us. Our nation is embracing socialism. And you say, well, that's not a big deal. And oh my God, it is a big deal. And I see the youth of our nation, even the, uh, the adults of our nation, promoting socialism. I see people uniting with, 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 with groups that are so anti-Christian. And yet Christians are supporting them. And I'm like, for what? Why would you do that? Just because they're offering you stuff? You can't be that ignorant. And I'm saying, oh, no, no, we can't. Because that's how the enemy works. If we remain ignorant, we're enslaved. <laughs> but listen, if you are a child of God, you have been forgiven, you have been redeemed, and you have been set free. So draw close to God. James 4, 1 through 10. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Look, he's talking to the church. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy to God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the Spirit of God has placed within us is filled, I'm sorry, yes, it's filled with envy. But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and, and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up and honor. This position of humility, humbling ourselves before God, seeking Him so that His will would be done. He's writing to the church, you all. He's speaking to the church. Wake up, know your identity, know how you're supposed to live. Do you realize what happened to the disciples, to Paul? They were murdered for their faith. I mean, poor Paul, he was stoned, left for dead, dragged out of the city and left for dead. But because of Christ's love, compelled him and, 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 and controls him, he got up and went right back into the city. 
fall over when, when little things brush up against us. <laughs> we get so easily offended. <laughs> and God is saying, I have so much more for you. And I guess it's something about me over these past few years, and more than a few years, for years. I'm like, God, you, you saved me, you did all this stuff for me, and I know, I know that I know that I know this is not all that you have. <laughs> it can't be. It can't be. I don't want to settle just to do. <laughs> Oh, God, you've done something. And I was thinking about you the other day, Brittany. She was the first person who had to hear all these sermons. Driving back and forth to the beach. Every time she was with me, I was just preaching and talking. I don't know if you remember. I'm saying this poor kid's probably thinking, this man is crazy. Until I remember her saying, as we're going through stores, she used to write little scriptures down on paper and tuck them away. I don't know if you remember doing that. Tucking them away in hopes that people would come across them. When I look at her little poem that I have on my desk downstairs that she wrote, I say, oh God. Jesus. I said, this can't be all that it is. Like you didn't get me up on that floor of that condo just for me to come and just conform with people just to do it. No, this is it. I don't want to do it. I said, God, people are dying out there. And and I've got the good news. You all have got the good news. And yes, they're not going to embrace it to the fullness but there will be one there may be a few whatever whatever God gives us that's just be faithful in sharing the good news so that their lives are being impacted drawing close to God Submitting ourselves to him, humbling ourselves. Look at this picture of repentance. And if that's not repentance in your life, then you're not a child of God. And you say, oh, well, who are you? It's nothing of me. Read this. This is true repentance. This is true humility. This is true submission to God, resisting the enemy. He has to flee. This is true submission. When you see what sin is, it is destructive. It destroys. There's nothing good of the flesh. And so we turn from it and we say, no more. No more. I'm not giving myself to it. I'm not giving myself to the thoughts, to to the desires, to the, the, the foolishness. No, I will. If I'm the only one living different, then God, here I am. And that should be your cry. That should be your prayer. This is a beautiful picture of submission. Not just, oh, I just feel guilty. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, God, I'm sorry. But then as soon as you get another opportunity, you're right back. I mean, go back and look at the scriptures that we talked about. Go back and look at Jeremiah. Go back and look at Romans. I can't just get up here and give you all a a good little motivational speak and say, ah, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves the little children and make it this weird junk that doesn't even change your life. I've got to give you truth and then it's up to you to allow the Holy Spirit to work it in you. 
It's up to you to feel uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, Oh God, here am I. Go to First Peter. I've got this one and then Revelations and then we're finished. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 13 through 25. And then chapter 2, just verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to read them. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the glorious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Listen to that. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. I remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray. I'm sorry. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as a foreigner in the land. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it, because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like gr grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for nourishment now that you have taste of the Lord's kindness. This is what he brings us to, you all. To a place of living right, of living holy. Again, not in and of your own self, but all in Christ. How do we put this in practice? How are we to, to move in obedience? By trusting in him, first and foremost. By believing in him. And in that belief, knowing him. And in that knowledge of him, we, we, we have this, and, and, and Reverend, I love this picture, this fear of him that keeps us humble. Oh God. And yet in that position, we have his love that embraces us, that helps us to stand and say, God, 
you love me. Not for anything of myself. In and of myself, I'm a wicked, vile, sinful, rebellious man. But God, you love me. And because you were pleased to reveal yourself to me through your son, Jesus, no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend, and Jesus laid his life down for me. And in that, he is victorious through his resurrection. Sin and death have been defeated. I now have received eternal life. I'm now living of a new nature. God, you are for me and not against me. And before you can know it, you've done preached yourself happy. You're standing upright in a crooked world with everything else that is bent all around you. You were able to walk. You were able to move forward. You were able to exist in the realm of darkness, burning as a bright light. And that is your purpose in a darkened world. You're not to give yourself to everything that's out there. Your wholeness is in Christ and can only be found in Christ. You can choose to go your way. You can choose to go. But why would you? When we saw in Jeremiah, God keeps trying to get your attention. God keeps trying to get your attention. Turn from evil. Do good. Seek for peace and work hard to maintain it. I'm closing in Revelation 3 verses. Revelation 22. Jesus' words. We're at the end of the book. This is the eternal word of God. I know mankind wants to dismiss it. People want to say whatever they want to say about it. But this is the eternal word of God. These are Jesus' words. Such love. Chapter 22, verse 7. Look, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Verse 12. Look, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Bringing my reward with, with, with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. And finally, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. This is Jesus, you all. Jesus is returning. I don't know the day or the hour, and I don't need to know the day or the hour. I just know he's returning. And I want him to find me. I want him to find us faithful to him faithful to him not shacked up with all of our other lovers and our other desires of this crazy world but faithful to Jesus God is love there's no way around it <laughs> and people need to know him and that's why the church is on this earth so that we're to be his hands and feet, boldly declaring the good news. We have all authority and power to strip down darkness, to, to demolish strongholds, those patterns of thoughts that are not true, but yet we believe. To war against hell, not in our own strength, but in the power of Christ. 
to see demons flee in the name of Jesus, to see darkness flee because of Christ in us, to see the sick healed, to stand for truth when deception is running amok, and if need be, to suffer with joy in our hearts for the cause of Christ, for our Savior. It is my hope, you all, that us just as a few people will be truly begin to live. And in living, that God will add to our numbers to those who are being saved. And that God do what he wants to do. But may he find us faithful unto him. I'm going to close this with this last song. It's a few songs kind of blended together. But I pray that as you hear these words being sung over you, that you just wouldn't take it as another, oh, okay, service is over type time. But know that you would sincerely just, just close your eyes, do what you got to do just to say, God, what do I need to do with everything that I've heard today? And then I'm going to close this in prayer.
celebrate our kings.